This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 25 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Chef Sarah Aconcia. Sarah is currently employed as an in-home personal chef for a professional athlete and is also the owner of Juniper Culinary Apothecary. Prior to that, Sarah spent many years working in Baltimore restaurants. She is a self-described service industry wellness advocate and has started a Facebook group called Self-Care for the Service Industry. In this episode, we talk a lot about kitchen culture and self-care for those who work in food service. If you'd like to learn more about Sarah and her work, you can go to her website at www.saraaconcia.com. And we'd also like to thank this week's sponsor, Jug Bridge Brewery, located at 911 East Patrick Street in Frederick, Maryland. Thanks, and have a great week. We're back with the Chef's Not Restaurants podcast. I'm Andrew. This is Chris. We're here today with Sarah Aconcia. Thank Perfect. you for coming out. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the invite. Yes, of course. Thanks for making the trip all the way from Baltimore. All right, so we usually just let our guests take it uh, for the intro, you know, just tell, who are you? What do you do? Um, a lot of people would know me as a restaurant chef. I've spent most of my career in restaurants uh, until about four years ago. Um I don't think it's really worth talking about my restaurant resume because it's not really what I do and what I focus on now. Um, and you can Google it. Uh, <laughs> so what I'm doing right now is uh, I'm a private chef for a uh, football player, um, a pro athlete. And I really like that uh, because it's given me a lot of opportunity to focus on my other work, which stems from my restaurant life, which is supporting people who live in the restaurant culture for taking care of themselves and being like well and uh, focusing on their health while also, you know, growing as a chef, working, um, continuing to do the work that you love, but not letting it kill you. Um, And to do that, I I write, uh, I'm starting to do things like podcasts. So this is really exciting. This is my first podcast. And I want to create uh, some things, some uh, resources to um, kind of offer support to people who are still in the restaurant world and feel like they're suffering and, you know, don't know why or how to deal with it. Awesome. And that's, I, I'm tempted to just jump right into that, but we'll wait because we're totally going to get into that. Okay. We'll just continue with the intro. Um, <clears throat> usually I ask people what their career direction was prior to like, we do a lot of personal chefs and, you know, food chef, just independent food operators. But it kind of sounded like you've been in the restaurant industry your whole life. Yeah, uh, I went to art school. I went to MICA in Baltimore. Okay, cool. And uh, it was, yeah, I got a job at a restaurant during college. And uh, I just kind of ended up working my way up. Uh, I have a really good work ethic. And I have a like, little bit of an addictive personality. So kitchen work really kind of 
uh, called to me in that way. It's something you can really like spend a lot of focus on. And then on the other side of that, it's also a creative endeavor. So being, you know, an artist and, and being in art school, I was looking for something that I can do as a career that was artistic mm-hmm. and cooking is definitely that. Um, yeah. And I just worked my way up by the time I graduated from college, I was a pastry chef and I was making like a decent salary and I was like, Oh yeah, I can do this. <laughs> when a lot of my friends who graduated with me were like, at that point where, you know, what am I going to do for money kind of thing? Yeah. What do I do? I'm an artist. I have a BFA. Now what? (laughs) Buy my art. Yeah. 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 So I found something that was artistic and creative that also was like a very reliable job because, you know, restaurants are everywhere. So So did you ever go to culinary school? No, I didn't. Um, When I was a pastry chef, my last year of college, I worked for a a pretty well-known French pastry chef. And I did like a kind of traditional apprenticeship with him, you know, not not in France here in the United States. But mm-hmm. um, so I did a lot of learning on the job, and I I am of the opinion that both are good. If you want to go to culinary school, go to culinary school. I don't think you have to, and I do think there's a lot of benefits to not going to culinary school because you immediately jump into your work experience, yeah. and I think it just you know creates two different kinds of chefs. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. <laughs> We're going to get a culinary school teacher on here, I think. I'm definitely not going to say fuck culinary school because I do know chefs who went to culinary school and are mm-hmm. great chefs. But I know a lot of chefs who didn't go to culinary school and are amazing chefs and good people who really have an understanding of what it's like to do the most lowest menial work in a restaurant and work your way up rather than graduating from culinary school and being like, okay, cool. Where's my, my sous chef? Yeah. Where's my sous chef job? Well, I think yeah. that's, the big, <laughs> that's what makes the big difference yeah. about it. Yeah. And then like the people who really succeed in culinary school, and I've heard, cause I don't, I've never been, I don't know, but <laughs> it seems like the, the people who take most advantage and learn the most in culinary school are people who have already been in the industry and I work their that. way up. Like, so now they know what they want to learn. Yeah. They know what they're learning some type of like they don't have like these lofty expectations of like what it's gonna be like to yeah. be a chef. And for me it's not even the lofty expectations, it's the amount you pay to go mm-hmm. versus where you're starting. Like I have a four year culinary degree. It cost me a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then when you get out, like what you're making doesn't match what you put in. So I'm not opposed, and I think everyone should continue educating themselves, whether that be formally or recreationally. Mm-hmm. But I just don't see putting in one to two hundred thousand dollars in an industry that's going to pay you like thirteen dollars an hour when you get out of school. I mean, I think that's say that about <laughs> any uh, any college right now. I think. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately. What was like your first food job, and is that the one that you were like, oh, okay, I really like this? Oh, this is the thing I want to do. Definitely not my first job. My first food job ever I was like 15 and I worked in uh it's so funny it was like our it was like a restaurant that was like supposed to be like cheers like the bar (laughs) at cheers but it wasn't like licensed by cheers or anything but it was like designed like it it was kind of weird and like kind of themed that way anyway I was 15 and I was supposed to be a hostess but like it wasn't very busy so they like let me be a cocktail server even though like that's really not right (laughs) (laughs) um and so I was doing that for a while and then I was like I don't want to do this because it was like not a good job for a 15 year old girl uh so then I worked at Petco for a long time because I really like animals I was like let me work in a pet store and I did that. And then um, then I worked in, uh, in other restaurants, like, you know, little small restaurants when I was in high school. 
mostly in front of house. And then when I got to college, I applied at one of the fancier, higher priced restaurants. And I wanted to be a server because I wanted to make as much money in as little time as I could. (laughs) And they were like, you've never done this like fine dining serving, so you can't do it. And you have to be a food runner. So I was a food runner for a little bit. And because I was always in the kitchen, I learned the menu and I started expediting. And then the chef one day, like someone walked out or something and I ended up making salads. And then I just kind of started doing it more. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty nice. And like I said, worked my way up from there. Do you ever have aspirations of opening your own restaurant? You know, I did for a long time. I wanted to open a restaurant. I think that now it's not something that I wouldn't do if the right opportunity came along. But by saying that, I mean, I mean money. Yeah. Um, it would have to be, you know, working with an investor that was willing to put in a lot of money for operational cash for the first few years, you know, while you're growing. Um, and it would have to be like the right location. It would have to be the right people that I'm working with. It would just, there'd be a lot, it, yeah. it would take a lot to make it something that I would want to do. Um, and that's just from my experience working in restaurants and working with restaurant owners. Um, And it's from my experience with uh, owning a business also. I owned a retail store for a little while, which was a great experience, but it's just, you know, the brick and mortar is the overhead for, you know, even just a retail store was was crazy. Do you mind me asking what the retail store is? Yeah, uh, it's called Juniper Culinary. The Spice Place? Do you know it? I went there and bought spices from you. I thought you looked familiar. I got some bomb ass smoked paprika from there or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it was uh, it was I something had a else. Togarashi. I, I made a togarashi with smoked spices. That was really good. That experience was a whole podcast worth of yeah, stuff I we can could talk about. Like, but halls tend they seem like they're that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have had people ask me, you know, like, oh, well, if you don't want to open a brick and mortar restaurant, like, why not go to a food hall? And like, well, but yeah, Juniper Culinary Apothecary. And we are still a functioning business. I just have a website now, and we do e-commerce, and I do some pop-ups. But yes. you can uh, See? link spices. to it. Your store was really cool. Thank you. Yeah. It is really cool. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but like <laughs> the brick-and-mortar <laughs> store. Yeah, thank the you. Was very, was nice. Well, if you want to visit it, it basically moved into my office at my home. So yeah, the question about opening a restaurant comes a lot from that experience too. Yeah. Like, I don't, I did that store, that brick and mortar store alone. I didn't have any investors. I did a crowdfunding to get open. That was like $5,000, I think. I had a small loan from a friend that was under 10 grand. And then I just did a business loan on my own by myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, you know, it was tough. I ran for two years, basically on my own money. um, And we broke even, we made a little bit of money, but I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it going without you know, without some operational cash, you know, how many years can you run with like five grand in your bank account? Was that the only thing you were doing at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have another job either. It was my full-time job. So, and I wasn't paying myself either. So when it comes to your private chef business, would you say you have like a niche? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I have one client. He's a pro athlete. And, um, I, my niche is that I, provide uh, him with like restaurant level plates at, in his home. And, uh, you know, he's a big foodie. He's a great guy. He really likes to eat 
you know, comfort foods and things like that, but he's not looking for, you know, like meal prep that he has to like microwave. He wants someone to bring him a, a composed plate of something, you know, beautiful and good. Is it just him? Yeah. Sometimes family comes over, friends come over, you know, I'll cook for other people as well, but generally day to day, it's just him. I guess what I want to ask is, did you, when he found you, was it like, were you kind of looking for that type of opportunity or did it just kind of like land on your lap? Like, what were you trying? Obviously, he found you and you probably had some type of indicators that you could do that job, right? Yeah. um, So I guess that's probably a good segue into talking about Instagram, (laughs) Um, which is funny because uh, when I was cooking in restaurants, this was a while ago and we didn't have Instagram. If anybody can believe that we had Twitter um, and Twitter was new. And uh, then after, you know, Instagram started becoming popular, I started posting my food and, you know, it's like anybody does like general lifestyle stuff. But then I found like the less I posted about me and my life and the more I posted about food, the more opportunities came from it. And I was getting like catering gigs and things like that just from people seeing my food on Instagram. And that's actually how my current client found me as so well. Were you, so were you like at a, at a job at that time and then just like got that opportunity? Yeah, I was. Uh, what was I doing? I was working. Uh, I was working on a, a like a project for someone, like helping them open something. Mm-hmm. I was kind of after I closed the retail store for Juniper. I took some time off because I had some money saved from Juniper and kept doing sales online. And then I was taking kind of like odd jobs to, you know, make some money and figure out what I wanted to do. And I was working on a project with someone that was like a a consulting gig. And then a client reached out and said, are you a private chef? And I wrote back and I was like, no, I mean, not technically currently, but sure like (laughs) absolutely you know what are you looking for um and then the more we talked the more it sounded like something that I could be really aligned with doing because I wasn't really interested in you know that kind of like personal chef where you do like meal prep and it's microwaved and you know that kind of thing and what he was looking for was someone to be a restaurant chef at his house which really appealed to me cool yeah that's kind of what I was trying to get to is like what I guess what he saw was a restaurant chef, and that's what he wanted. I didn't do any marketing for that particular job. It wasn't something that I was looking for, like a goal that I had, um, which, you know, makes me sound kind of ungrateful for it, but I'm, I'm definitely grateful for it. If, you know, no, but I, you were doing something. Yeah. Right. Like you were putting that out there yeah. for somebody to receive. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Yeah. So I think, you know, putting your, your work out there is really important, um, and people kind of uh tease me a little bit about instagram and like how much i use it and stuff like that but i mean it got me my my best client ever yeah. my current client and i'm so grateful for him we talk all the time about instagram it's yeah. amazing the opportunities i've had i mean i feel kind of like we talked about imposter syndrome a little bit oh, i'm kind yeah. of amazed when i look at like the number of followers i have and the people who follow me in relation to someone who i think is way more famous or deserving but it's just because I'm putting out content a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm using hashtags properly. And then you see this chef who's an amazing chef and you're like, wow, they have like 300 followers. And it's just like, well, I'm putting in the work. And at some point you have to say, well, that's actually the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. And if you're good at kind of self-promoting or even if you're not good, you have to learn a little bit. I'm just putting it out there. Nowadays I treat it like a job. 
Um, I, I work for my client, obviously, and I, I give that 110%, but I also spend dedicated blocked time on Instagram. And it's, you know, I, I use time blocking. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, I block out, you know, like half an hour a day is replying to DMs and half an hour a day is working on my writing for my grid post and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think once I started doing that, I really started seeing a return on how many people were engaging with me and how many jobs I was getting. Like I'm turning down stuff now, which is awesome. Do you post photos of food you prepare for your client? Yeah. On there? And yeah, just do. Do, is there mention that it's for that client or a yeah. particular client? Because some people, I'm sure, are kind of weird about that thing. When I had a different job, I was posting photos of the food I was making there and not saying where I worked. So yeah. that kind of discretion level. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's a job where you have to have a lot, a lot of discretion. Um, you know, I work in this person's home. So I have, you know, a very kind of sacred respect for, you know, his privacy and, and all of that. I don't post pictures of my food with like, you know, his home in the background, things like that. Um, and anytime I share anything that's personal or private, it'll always be, you know, I asked him ahead of time, you know, post a picture of his dog on my story. Like mm-hmm. I would say, hey, can I post this, you know? Yeah. Um, but everything is different in that, in that level of like luxury private dining, you know, you'll have clients sometimes that will say you can't do anything. You can't have a social media presence at all. Not even for yourself. If you're going to be my private chef, you, you know, you don't, you don't use social media at all. Would you be interested in that? Or is that uh, <laughs> off the table? Cause I would not do that. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It, it depended. It would depend. I, if it was something that I really felt was good for me and good for my life, then maybe, but I, I've definitely built a lot of, um, I've built a community on Instagram and I think that I really, I use it to get work, but I also use it to engage with people, um, and to promote the, the work that I want to do, which is giving this support to people who are still in this like oppressive restaurant industry and feeling like really, you know, lost and unwell and you know they're looking for someone to offer them something of support and like that's what I want to do on Instagram and I would say that's what I know you for now I mean I've known about you for a while I know your background but when I think of you and posting on Instagram like I'm expecting to see stories about health and mental wellness and things of that nature. I don't even, I can't even think of a dish I've seen you post photos of because I, and hopefully you think of that as a good thing that I think of you as like someone who's going to be posting things about staying positive and like treating yourself well and take care of yourself. So I already feel like that's what your Instagram's about. Thank you. Because that's really what I want to be known for and what I want to promote an idea that I talk about online is that your identity is not work. Um, your identity is not your job. And for a long time in restaurants, that's what it was for me. My identity was, you know, Sarah's the executive chef of this restaurant and everywhere I went, it was, this is Sarah. She's the chef, you know, and everything I talked about was cooking or everything that anybody ever wanted to know about me was related to the restaurant or food or cooking, or that. Um, And then have an identity outside of that. And I think that it happens across a lot of different industries that people become kind of 
intertwined with their job so much that their whole life is their work. And it doesn't have to be like that. You can be good at your job. You can be great. Um, I'm, I'm a private chef for a pro athlete and I do a, a really good job of that. I'm really proud of that, but it's not my identity. But isn't that hard? Like, let's say my kid has a play date and their dad comes over. The first question is like, oh, hey, Chris, so what do you do? Like, that's always a question, not like, who are you? What are you into? But it's just this always leading question of like, what do you do? Or someone will say like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. I hear you're a chef. Like that just seems to be the thing, not even in the food industry, but your identifier. You meet someone new, You, uh, one of my wife's coworkers, (laughs) and it's like, so what do you do? Or I hear you have a chef business. Like that's the literally first thing all the time in any situation when you meet someone new and someone will say, so Chris, you know, tell us about yourself. Well, how do you like my job? Like what I do, what do you want to know? You know? Well, I used to say, you know, Oh yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Sarah. I'm a chef and I work at this restaurant. And then all the questions would be related to that. What kind of food do you cook? Or like, where's the restaurant or whatever like that. But now if I meet someone new and they say, you know, what do you do? I say, a lot of different, like I shake it up. <laughs> I might, cause if I say I'm a private chef for a pro athlete, that's all we're going to talk about for the rest of the time that I spend with this person. But if I say, um, you know, uh, Oh, a couple weeks ago, I went to a watercolor class with my friend who dragged me to it and I ended up really liking it. And now I like to paint watercolors. A lot of time, the response to that will be, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like, do you sell them? Do you have an Instagram page? Because we live in a capitalism society, right? And so everything that we do has to be monetized somehow. So your identity as a person is what you do for money, what you do for work. So, and and that happens, you know, people will say, oh, do you sell your watercolors? Like, no, I just, they suck. They're not even good. I just do it for fun. It's really important to dedicate some of your time to doing things that make you feel good that are not for anyone else uh, and don't have a purpose, which I know is like people, when I say something like that, people are like, wait, like they don't like, you don't understand literally what I'm saying. Like, why would you do that? Why would you spend your time doing something that has no purpose? But the, there is a purpose and the purpose is to like nourish the part of you that needs to express yourself in a way that isn't controlled or like metered or measured. Mm-hmm. That, if that makes sense. No, it does. I kind of do that. But now that you said that it's kind of like metered and measured too. Yeah. But I spend a ton of time playing chess online, <laughs> like on my phone. That's it's like, that's like my, like if I have a second, cause it like, I feel like it works my brain, but at the same time, like I just like doing it and it literally does nothing for me i mean other than the fact that i like it but it's just you're doing something that isn't monetized and it's not for any particular reason nobody's making money off of you playing chess on your phone so our society is created to make you feel bad for doing that i think the challenge is when you have your own business you're like never off the clock like when i had a job uh, you know even though i worked a lot of hours like when you went to work and when you came you know when you went to work, you were there. And when you came home in the morning, you were off. And at night, you were off. And now it's kind of like... Unless you're a chef. But, but even so, you still have some time where you don't have to be always trying to improve. Whereas with my business, like 
I have a job today, but then I'm also thinking way at home, like I should probably work on a menu proposal for someone or like, oh, business is a little slow. I should probably write like a Facebook campaign and like blast that out. Like you can always be doing something to move the needle forward a little bit. And how do you shut that off and say like, I'm good. Like today I'm just going to take a day or an hour and not worry about that. And I'm going to go swimming and not worry that I should be making Facebook ads. Here's the thing though. What if you change the way that you thought about that and said, I deserve to not do work when I get home. Like when I leave here today, I deserve to go home and watch TV or play with my kids or take a nap, rest. Like, why don't you deserve to do that? You know yeah. what I mean? It's just, it's kind of changing the perspective. I, I was, when you say like, you know, you have a nine to five job, you go home and you stop working. That was never true for me in a restaurant. Even if I worked a 14 hour day, I would go home and I would feel bad if I wasn't thinking of menu ideas or reading a cookbook or, you know, watching a cooking show or whatever. On my days off, I would work. I would go to the restaurant on my days off just to check on them, which is psychotic. (laughs) Um, Because I didn't think that I deserved to stop. Because I I thought that I was, you know, the only... Because my work was my identity, why would I not do work? But it still plays a big part in your identity, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I'm really proud of my work. I share a lot about it online. Um, I do tag my client, you know, and I share things that I do for him, but it's, you know, I, I actively kind of try to make sure that I carve out time in my day every day that has no purpose. It's just for me to rest or take care of myself. And I think once you have other things and family's a big thing, I, I'm glad that I found out like when I had kids, that was a big shift for me. Mm. You know, I, I don't know what it'd be like if I wasn't married and didn't have kids. Like I'd maybe have more trouble disconnecting. Mm. Once my kids came along, that was the thing that changed everything is like, I'm not gonna not see them grow up. And I always worked in like contract food. So my wife and I had a great relationship where I had every other weekend off. I mm. never wanted to be the chef who worked 80 hours a week, didn't see their spouse. So I already had a pretty good work-life balance. And then when the kids came along two years in, I was like, I'm not going to miss them growing up for this. Like I made the shift. So we actually have a ton of time this past weekend. I didn't have any work on Friday or Saturday, which are my two busiest days. And I was cool. We took the whole weekend and just did whatever and went to my son's soccer game on Saturday. And I did the dad daughter dance with my daughter this weekend. And I was pretty chill about it. And what I'm about to say is not to take away from your kids or anyone that has kids in general, but that is also still doing something for someone else and not for you. What if it was just for you? You know? Yeah. Because you're still saying like, I, you know, it's important for me to have time away from work so that I can spend time with my kids or so I can spend time with my partner, which is fine. That's totally valid. And it's awesome. And you should also have that same kind of like reverence for your time with yourself. Yeah. And we do. Like my thing is concerts and music. Like my wife can't hang anymore. <laughs> like she's uh, go to bed at like nine, nine thirty. And we just kind of have this understanding that like, that's something that I love. Like when she, we met at a concert, so she knew going into it, like I love live music. And for a number of years I would buy two tickets and take her and we'd get there and she'd be bored before like the artist went on that I really wanted to see. And now it's just kind of like, I'll say, 
do you care if I go to the show next month? And 99% of the time she's cool. Yeah. And I buy a ticket and I go by myself. That's awesome. Cause that's like my that's thing. Great. It's like, I just want to go down and see a show and for like three hours, not even talk to me. Like I don't even go with friends. Like I love going to a show by myself and grabbing a beer and just being in there with the music. Like I've seen 600 shows. Like I'm, wow. I'm like a music guy. Like live music makes me feel like nothing else. And I can't even explain it to people who aren't into it like that. I'm like, no, it's not the social experience. Like I don't go to meet people. I don't go to get like hammer. Like I just want to go and feel like I'm immersed in something for like three or four hours. So for me, it's live music. That, and that's awesome. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like that's spending your time doing something that is just for you for no other reason. It's not serving any other purpose except you enjoy it and it nourishes you. What's that for you? I don't even know if I have it, honestly. I mean, um, I, I do, I don't do it enough as much as I would like to, but I like to just go out and like, we have like, uh, you can drive like 10 or 15 minutes and get to some good like hiking trails. So I really like to do oh, that yeah. by myself. And I like, I would like to leave my phone in the car, but I don't, but it's, it's hard to find that time. So that's why like chess is like my secondary. And that's another thing too, is like, you don't have to dedicate a whole day uh, a lot of people get tripped up on, I mean, this not just for this, but for everything, you know, like taking a small step because they feel like they can't do the big step, mm-hmm. you know? So I think a lot of people that I've talked to are like, oh, well, I can't, you know, I can't have a hobby outside of work because I don't have time. But it could just be something you do for five minutes yeah. a day or once a week. It doesn't have to be like 30 hours a week or, or whatever. I feel like this is one of those things, but it's not really just for me, and same with you, like, you know, we do this for other people, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is work. This is... Yeah, it is. You're, so you're, you're, you're not getting too. paid for it. I don't know. That's for sure. We're not... We're not. Sponsor, <laughs> sponsor, <laughs> sponsor alert. Um, but, you know, we do, we do love that we get to talk to other people that we admire and we really enjoy spending time with. I would never want to have a guest because I felt obligated. I would never want to say... I don't really like that person or agree with what they're doing, but they'd be good for the show. Hopefully I never get to that point where I feel like you have to have a guest on. We just really want to talk to people that we enjoy spending time with. But yeah, work, I'm going to come home today after having been here since 10 o'clock this morning and feel like it's a work day. Yeah. Whether or not it helped with either of my businesses, whether I made no money today, mm-hmm. but I enjoy doing it. And that's a thing that I think chefs get really like caught up in and like tripped up on is... I love what I'm doing, so it's not really work. And we kind of discredit our, ourselves and say like, oh, well, you know, I did work 14 hours, but I love it so much. But I think we are caught you up know? in the, we're caught up in the, the. <laughs> it, is, it is, yeah, it is. Because it's like, you know, it's saying like, it's, it's saying I worked 14 hours and it's not worth, it's not worth it. I'm not worth saying that that was work, right. you know? I also think the challenge is, or one of my frustrations is, now that's the expectation and like you're not a real chef if you don't work like 18 hours. You know, I think you need to be able to leave. I actually don't think you're a good leader if you can't leave your operation and let your staff run the show. Like you haven't done your part if you can't walk away. And it took me a while to get there, but I've run almost exclusively large operations. So you would have to, I mean, I was at places doing a thousand covers a day Mm -hmm. and you had hundreds of staff. Like you have to just say like, I can't control everything and letting go of that. But also that wasn't my money. 
you know, as much as you want to say it's a job and I'm the manager and I'm the chef, you want to respect that. It's very different that if something does go down, well, it isn't my money. I'm getting paid a salary. If it were my own restaurant, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to at nine o'clock after eight hours, 10 hours, walk away and say, cool, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely hard. It's tricky because uh, of the culture that exists around it, especially in restaurants, you know, restaurant culture, kitchen culture, it's created to like, keep you thinking that kind of thing, you know? Um, and it's hard to break out of because we, we all who are in it, we all like create it and support it for each other, you know? So there'll be a culture of, you know, like, Oh, um, I don't feel good. I feel like I'm getting sick and everybody makes fun of me for being sick. And mm-hmm. everybody's like joshing on you, like, well, just, you know, take, suck it up, take some day, uh, well, like suck it up, you know? Um, but the only person who benefits from all of us creating that kitchen culture are the owners mm-hmm. of the restaurants and the people who are making money off of our labor. We, we all are not benefiting from making fun of the person who's sick. You right. know, the only person who benefits from that is, is the owner who is creating a whole staff of people who are afraid to take days off or say, I don't feel good. I need to go home. I have the flu. I should not cook today. But all the chefs and cooks kind of uphold that by subscribing to that culture. And there's, there's pressure of like you're a line cook and you're going home today. Now I have to do your work. So there is some of that as well, not just on the owner side, but also people feeling like you're not pulling your weight and now they have to do your job. Yeah, I mean, how, how many days did I work two stations? Because someone didn't show up or called out or whatever. And then when they come back, I give them hell because I worked their station for two days. But whose fault is that really? Is it the person who is sick and like had to take two days off? Is it my fault because I had to cover two stations? No, it's the restaurant owner who wouldn't bring in an extra person to cover the person who was gone. Or get in there themselves. You know, the executive chef who walks around with the clipboard and doesn't jump on the line. And I tried never to be that chef. Uh, you know, I was the chef who was like working expo on cold side at the same time, stuff like that. But in general, people feel like when they get to that level of like sous chef or exec that they've earned the right, air quotes, yeah. to like act that way. But it doesn't have to be like that. And I think that now there's a lot of restaurants who are really actively changing their mm-hmm. culture. Um, there's some really great ones in Baltimore that I know, you know, people talk about what it's like to work there. And I talk to the owners about what they do to support their staff, but they're in such a minority that I don't even, I can think of like two off the top of my head. So what do you think the best or easiest fixes? Like what's the low hanging fruit to make kitchen life better or easier? Something that anyone could put into effect right away something that's maybe not super costly Mm. and hard to execute what are some things that we should be doing i think something that would probably help uh, a lot of workers is if the managers and owner level could uh, offer more flexible scheduling i think scheduling is a huge uh, thing that turns into a power play Uh, you know if you do something wrong you screw something up on your station your schedule gets messed up for the next week as a punishment cooks who have kids, you know, are punished by 
not having their schedule for more than two days in advance. They don't know when they're going to be able to pick up their kids. They end up fighting with their spouse, like that kind of thing. I think if a restaurant can get to a point where they're running a monthly schedule, you know, it would help a lot and then take away like, you know, schedule punishments and stuff like that, which should not happen anywhere. Um, I think that is an easy thing that could change, but is like a tough thing to ask because it's one of the only power plays that people have in managing cooks. But should managers have power plays? No, they should. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, to be clear, yeah. they should not. Um, but, you know, anywhere that there's, like, a hierarchy of people making more money than other people, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be power plays. That's what my general manager expected of me as the chef, is that we did monthly schedules. She said to me, basically, like, if you don't have monthly schedules for your staff, I'm not going to give you monthly schedules, you mm, know? And yeah. You know, it was really beneficial. The hardest thing that I actually faced was getting people to put in their day off requests. So that was like a hard line of like schedule goes up mm-hmm. May 1st. If you need off in May, then if I don't have it by May 1st, it's on you to switch your your schedule. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, think for the most part, if you are an operation that has standard hours, you should be able to know yeah. when someone's going to be working. Yeah. I mean, what the question you asked me was not something that I can come up with a quick answer on the fly, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good start. (laughs) I also think that happy workers are good employees. Yeah. Uh, You know, like why wouldn't you want your employees to be happy? And for me, I think that's giving them some flexibility and some creative freedom, uh, whether it be working different stations because they've asked to, I mean, I see a lot of times where someone's working on prep and they want to move to the salad station or expo. Mm -hmm. And why are we not trying them out in that area? give them the chance to grow. I mean, nobody wants to be just on prep peeling potatoes and cutting onions forever. But I see a lot of places that feel like you haven't paid your dues, air quotes, and you know, you're, you're not going to move on to expo until you've done prep for like six months. And a lot of times those kind of metrics are like super arbitrary. Like, yeah, what is prep for six months versus prep for a month? Yeah. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's arbitrary. And then depending on your turnover and all that stuff, it's like, or if you have multiple prep cooks, that six months or that one month, like that could look different for different people. Yeah. And someone might get stuck in it for nine months. Yeah. And owners and managers who complain about, you know, like, oh, I can't hire good people. I keep losing people. Um, there's no good cooks in the city and it's so hard to hire people. And anytime someone comes at me with that, I say, you need to examine your kitchen culture because there are a lot of really talented people in the city and, you know, whatever, the whole country, like you were talk in general, not just to Baltimore. There's a lot of talented cooks. There's a lot of hardworking young people who are willing to work, you know, like a prep station or a dish station if they have the idea that they can move up. If they get to your kitchen and they see that it's a ter- terrible place to be, why would they stay as a dishwasher or a prep cook when they can go somewhere else? I've said numerous times I – moved to hiring on attitude and soft skills as opposed to skills. I almost didn't want seasoned cooks who were going to come with baggage and all that. My favorite was I'd have wait staff who were quite often like 16, 17, working mostly just nights and weekends during the school year. And then summer would come along and they want some hours. So you put them on prep. Like I had some that killed better than like culinary school, CIA, Johnson Wales graduates because they didn't know what they knew. They didn't know what they didn't know. They were just grateful for a job and an opportunity and would work hard and then would do it the way that you trained them. I don't think 
it's realistic to say you're going to be able to staff your operation with solely um, perfectly trained cooks and staff. I think you just need to find people, treat them right, give them opportunities and, you know, maybe make them grow there. And treating them right is like, it's just so overlooked. I mean, I've worked with owners and managers who create this culture of like, you're at work, you don't, it doesn't need to be fun. It doesn't need to be a good place to be because it's work. And I mean, how many centuries are we going to base work life on that, that kind of concept? Like we're not working in the, in the mines, you know, (laughs) if I'm going to spend 60 hours a week in your building, like you better take care of me. It's like the radio in the kitchen. I've been in some kitchens where like the chefs are adamantly opposed to it. And some were like, we didn't care. And it's like, well, you know, I understand if we're open for service and you can hear your rap music blaring in the dining room, that's a problem. But if, you know, your cooks come in for prep from like 12 to four, let them play whatever, you know, within reason as far as like profanity and offending people in the kitchen. But otherwise, like, yeah, I have no problem with the radio in the kitchen. But a lot of chefs I've worked with are like, absolutely not. We are working in a quiet kitchen and you're not having music. That's the way I came up. Like when I was a young cook, I worked in these kitchens where it was silent. And, you know, I staged at a place in Chicago where we weren't allowed to speak. And it was like a very um, kind of like military structure kind of to the day. Um, You were given a printed prep list with like times on it that you were supposed to hit. Benchmarks. (laughs) Yep. And uh, yeah, you weren't allowed to talk at all. And you, no one used each other's name. They called everybody chef. So I was, I was in a stage, like an intern for like a week. And I was, people were calling me chef, but it wasn't like a respectful thing. It was like, just, I don't care to learn your name. You could have been a robot. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't just the stages. I mean, the sous chefs, like no one, no one said like, you know, Hey, whatever your name is, can you blah, blah, blah. Like, I hate being called chef. Like when people are like chef, it's like, no, it's Chris. It's always <laughs> been Chris. Like I'm the chef, but you don't need to call me chef. It yeah. actually makes me feel uncomfortable. A little I bit. like, you know, I like it as a sign of respect. I call other people chef. If you know, I need a chef that I, that I respect, I'll, I'll call them chef. But I don't like it in that context of like, it takes away your humanity you know, and makes you just like a tool. And I think a lot of people look at a restaurant kitchen as just, you know, everyone who works in there should be putting their head down. Don't speak, don't need anything. Don't, you know, you don't have emotions. That's why we have a lot of addiction problems, a lot of health, mental health issues. It's because that culture doesn't allow you to express anything about yourself. And aren't we just making food for people's pleasure? Oh my god! I mean, you know, like when when you step back <laughs> from it, dinner. it's just dinner. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like we're going to Puerto Rico and feeding the people who have nothing. It's like we're cooking food for quite often the very wealthy who really are just going out and spending money in a restaurant like they would on a show or a movie or something. When I used to have cooks like freaking out, you know, like you know when you freak out, <laughs> everything's going wrong. You're in the weeds. You're like losing it. I used to just be like, look, it's just dinner. And everyone in the dining room is going to live probably to see tomorrow and eat dinner again. So it's just, it's just food. Like it's also, it's not worth giving up your life over or your health. It's not worth it. It's just food. Do you feel like you've given up your health uh, in the past? Like over this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know how much you know about my health story. Not that much. Okay. 
Um, when I was at my last restaurant job, I started feeling really bad. I mean, anybody who's worked in restaurants can tell you, like, you feel bad most of your career. <laughs> I felt bad in my, like, early 20s. Like, <laughs> I had, you know, foot pain, back pain, whatever, all that. But I started feeling really bad that last year that I worked in the restaurant. And um, I, it was the first job, I think it was the first or second job ever that I had health insurance. So I finally went to the doctor and I got diagnosed with type two diabetes. And I mean, I don't, I eat pretty healthy when I eat, but when I was in restaurants, I wasn't eating very much. I was drinking a lot. And I, you know, when I ate, it was like, I didn't eat anything the whole day. And then I would eat like a burger and bourbon and beer. So at 11 o'clock at night, at 11, midnight. and then go to sleep. <laughs> and then the next morning drink like three press pots of coffee until it was bourbon time again. So I got my diabetes diagnosis and I've also, I'm still fighting to try and figure out if I have some kind of like fibromyalgia or something like that, or if it's just like joint pain from standing up for 10 years or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, so that happened. I was like, oh man, that really sucks. There's a lot of stigma about uh, type two diabetes that I could probably talk on a whole podcast about, but I, I really saw that as a wake up call because I never thought of myself as someone who was at risk for getting a disease like that. Cause you know, I, I, people think like, Oh, that's from eating fast food and, you know, being like mm -hmm. 300 pounds overweight or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it really kind of showed me that my lifestyle, which was work, like my work was my lifestyle, um, was really actually physically hurting me in addition to mentally hurting me. And at that restaurant, I kind of started looking at it differently and trying to improve my health in my lifestyle choices. And everything that I did, I was met with, you know, uh, what's the word? Like I was met with like resistance from everyone around me. I started bringing in like a healthy lunch to eat and people made fun of me. And I stopped staying at the bar to drink and people would be like, oh, well, you know, we just got these nice bourbons in. You're not going to know what they taste like, like that kind of thing. And instead of getting support from everyone around me and like, oh, you're trying to, you know, be healthier and take care of yourself. It was this feeling of like, you don't deserve to do that. You're a chef. Yeah. Which I know sounds like yeah. kind of dramatic, but it, no, it totally it is. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and that's how, that's how people make you feel. It's like, you're a chef. This is what you signed up for. Yeah. And I, like, I don't think it has to be like that. No, There's I was, really no reason for it to be like I that. I was more unhealthy and I eventually ended up losing like 50 pounds, but it was like, I'd make a salad for lunch and people were like having a salad again. I'm like, yep, this is actually a better lunch choice. Yeah. But I was eating my lunch with toxic, terrible people. And I was having anxiety and a lot of issues. I started eating my lunch by myself outside, which kind of then like ostracizes you. But it was mm -hmm. like, I'm sitting at a table who were being with horrible people saying horrible, like just vile, like racist things and so forth. It's like, I can't even be a part of this. And would just find that I would rather take my lunch and go outside and go for like a little walk mm -hmm. and sit. And I was actually at the point where I had to meditate in my car before I went to work that I was having anxiety that bad. But then you get in and people say, oh, I saw you sleeping in the car before you came in here. You know, it's like, no, like this is such a terrible place that I actually need to meditate for 10 minutes to connect myself so that I can come in and deal with this nonsense, yeah. you know, and, but that, you know, people will make those comments because like, yeah. 
they don't understand why are you meditating? Why are you eating by yourself? Like the things that I had to do to put myself on the right track. One time I stabbed my hand when I was shucking oysters. And the reason why I stabbed my hand was because I was also expediting at the same time and shucking oysters and working a cold side station. So I was like not paying attention to what I was doing, cut myself. And then uh, I was like cleaning it. And the general manager came in and he's like, oh my God, you cut yourself. And I was like, yeah, it sucks. It's like really big. And I'm like washing it, like going to put like a bandaid on it. And he's like, maybe you should go to the hospital and get stitches. And I was like, nah, it's fine. It's just like a little thing. Which is like the, you know, the typical, like no matter how bad a chef cuts himself, like they're always going to be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just put duct tape on it. Um, And he was like, but you stabbed yourself with the oyster knife, right? And I was like, yeah, actually, you're right. I should probably at least like go get it cleaned. So I left and I went to urgent care and I called the restaurant and I was like, hey, I'm still waiting. And the general manager was like, okay, cool. Why don't you just send me a text and let me know when you'll be back that night. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to come back after I get stitches on my hand. Like, and then for the next week after that, I was made, i like, I was made fun of, I was made, I was ostracized. They had like manager meeting without me, like that kind of thing. And I was like, what is going on? And they were like, oh, you know, the owner's really upset that you like would leave in the middle of service. I was like, I, I had four stitches in my hand. Why would I come back? I'm not going to be able to shuck oysters that night. I came back the next day. <laughs> it's not like I, it's not like I yeah. didn't go home. Like I didn't go back for a week. It was like the middle of start. It was. Yeah. And then that kind of incident really, it was like, I, can't, I just need a break. I'm not saying I want to quit being a restaurant chef, but like, I just need to stop right now and take a break. And that's when I decided to leave. So do you see things changing? I mean, I know you said there are some places and you feel like it's very minimal. I yeah. know right now, they're hot conversations in the food media, but mm-hmm. how much is really changing? We're having a lot of discussions about, you know, the Me Too era and chefs working out instead of drinking and all this. And it seems to be a hot topic, yeah. but is that still the minority? I mean, I think that those things are all great and we need to continue doing that and supporting those conversations because, like I said, it's just a, it's a culture issue and nothing is going to change unless we all change the perspective of putting value on taking care of ourselves. And I don't think there's anything that, you know, I I don't know. I don't think there's like a a national law that could be made that would help or anything like that. I think it's going to be on the worker level of, you know, everyone in a restaurant saying like, Hey, this isn't cool. We need our schedule a week ahead of time and we're not going to work this way anymore. I like to think it's getting better. And then you see people sharing chef memes and, you know, there's like the true cooks and all that stuff. And it's just for all the advancements I think we make. And then you have great things like the chefs with issues that Kat Kinsman started Mm -hmm. in the group. But even if you're a part of that group, some people come in there and troll pretty hard. And I don't know if they actually have issues and are feeling some sort of way or if they're coming in just to be kind of jerks about it. And I know it's really hard to moderate a group, especially that size, yeah. but someone will come on and say, I had this happen. And then, you know, some comments will be like, shut up and suck it up or whatever. And I'm amazed that in a closed private Facebook group, that's supposed to be all about supporting each other and helping bring, you know, awareness of issues in the food industry, that there are still people coming into like that group and yeah. making fun of people. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, 
you know, and people are like ingrained into a way of thinking, you know, it just takes, I think maybe exposure to the ideas over and over again that, you know, they can, they can see like, Oh, I, you know, I didn't really realize that there, there could be another way. And I think that that happened for me. I mean, I was a chef who yelled at people, got angry, was stressed out, you know, visibly angry, stressed kind of thing. I took out a lot of my stress on my staff. I, you know, my high standards and things like that. I punished people with things like, you know, I don't, I don't remember specifically doing like scheduled punishment, but like, you know, like things like that. I fully admit that. And I have talked to people who used to work for me and apologized. And I've been like, you know, I'm sorry that the, that you worked during this period with me. Um, I wish that it wasn't like that, but at least know that, you know, I'm growing and, and I wouldn't run a kitchen like that again. I think that's important. And it also takes a lot of, it takes a lot of like bravery to, to say like, you know, I screwed up. doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I was working in the same system as everyone else. And that's how I coped with it. And I think that putting myself out there by doing things like this and talking about this, hopefully will show another chef who's in it that they don't have to act like that. And, yeah. Or a chef that's working under someone that it doesn't have to be like that. And you can demand better. You can say, hey, you can't talk to me like that. And I think it's hard when you're kind of middle management. Like yeah. if you're an executive chef, you still report to a general manager or something. You know, I've definitely been in the spot where I did some things I'm not proud of. And people would say, but you were the executive chef. Yeah. And I had a general manager. Yeah. I had a district manager. I had a client. I yeah. had metrics that were measured. And, you know, I'm responsible for getting the job done. And when your GM and your district manager says, fire this person, only pay them a 2% raise instead of a 4% raise. Like you kind of have to do that or you have to make a stance and say, I can't work here anymore, but it's really hard. And just kind of looking at like, I always thought I was a good person. And I know there's people who think I was a horrible person. I've read some things on the internet and you're just like, (laughs) I felt so badly. And that's ultimately one of the reasons why I left the job I was at because I went through a stage of personal growth. And I felt like I couldn't be the person that I really was becoming and wanted to be and mm-hmm. stay and do the job that my bosses expected me to do. And I didn't see any business model where that worked. There were very few places that I felt I could go in and work and run a kitchen the way I wanted to. So I ultimately left to start my own business, mostly because I was trying to change my life and mm-hmm. myself and couldn't do the work that was expected of me in that regard anymore. Yeah, that sounds like why. And that's tough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I decided I had to leave that restaurant, it was a decision where I was like, I need to leave this restaurant in particular. And I don't know of any restaurant that I can go work at right now that won't treat me the same way um, and won't treat my staff the same way. And, you know, that was like five years ago. I, I think I could probably come up with a couple now that I would probably reach out to, but it's not that many, you know, and the, the owners who I think are good owners who treat their staff like humans and, you know, offer them services to support them and things like that. They're really going out on a limb. They're paying extra money out of their pockets for these things. They're doing a lot more than, the, your general everyday restaurant owner, you know, someone I know who owns a restaurant group pays for their staff to have um, like English as a second language classes and they pay a tutor to come in 
and they offer it to anyone who wants to come. And that's something that he does that's extra that he doesn't have to do, but it creates this sense from uh, him for his staff that he cares about them as people and everybody who works for him is happy. And like, it's, it's a cool place to work. I read something cool somewhere. I don't remember who the chef was, but he was allowing all of his employees to buy food at cost. You know, he said, you know, I don't have a lot of leverage, but I know that I get my eggs at like 60 cents a dozen and they're like $1.20 at the grocery store. I get my beef at this price. Like as long as you put in your order, he had like a rec sheet Mm -hmm. and every employee was allowed to buy food through the restaurant and pay him at cost Mm -hmm. because that was something that literally didn't impact anything at all, Mm -hmm. you know, as a benefit to the employees. I think that's a great thing where it costs you nothing as an owner except having that order some more stuff when it comes in and be able to break it down. But, you know, you've got yeah. the leverage of the buying power that you're buying giant bulk volume. So go ahead and sell your employees like onions at 30 cents a pound instead of $1.99 from the grocery store. The owner manager um, mentality of like, why? Why would I do that? What is it? What's in it for me? And convincing owners that the happiness and health of their employees is a benefit because it costs a lot of money to hire and train people. If you're retaining employees, you don't have to spend that money. So there is a return on investment. And it also like word of mouth. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, oh, I wouldn't eat there because I know what it's like to work there. And I think sometimes the problem is you try to appease the squeaky wheel. Like you always have like one or two employees or like the tough ones or whatever. And then you set policies and things based on like the two or 5% that are already going to be miserable anyway, instead of trying to like make things better for everyone else. Yeah. I don't know. I just think, you know, there's a lot of free things that restaurants could do for their staff. Even if it's just, you know, providing a safe kind of environment where employees feel comfortable talking to you. You know, that's something that a lot of places don't have. Like, Restaurants don't have, generally, not all, hashtag not all restaurants, um, don't have like an HR department, you know? And most of them don't have them in-house. They might have someone at corporate. Yeah. They have like one person at corporate who like you can't get on the phone. But very rarely do you go into a freestanding restaurant and if you have an issue, there's like an office down the hall you can go talk to somebody. I mean, I worked at restaurants before where I was being sexually harassed by um, a supervisor and do you know who I was supposed to talk to? That supervisor? My supervisor, yeah. 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 And if I wanted to go above that supervisor, there was the executive chef who was best friends with the sous chef. Like, what am I supposed to do? Go talk to the owner who's, like, you know, on vacation in the Caribbean? Like, doesn't give a shit about me? No. There's no HR. There's no, there's no, like, you don't have a feeling of being supported by the company that you work for. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of weird for me because I've worked... I think in the past 20 years, every place I've worked had an HR department. So we did have that, which was nice. And I spent a ton of time talking to my employees. Like I felt like I spent more time talking to them in the office and actually working with them in the kitchen. But it was, (laughs) you know, I really enjoyed that experience of working there, but also having um, them be able to talk to someone because I I can't solve everything. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they didn't agree with me and they'd go to HR and that's fine. Yeah, because sometimes you're not the right person to talk to. Yeah. A lot of times it's also just like this idea of, you know, like, oh, well, why, why do you want to talk about that? Like, you know, people don't talk about their mental health because 
the stigma of it making them seem weak. So, you know, like a bunch of line cooks in a kitchen working together, one guy is not going to be like, you know, I'm having this issue with my mom and I'm really upset about it. Like, you don't want to have conversations like that in the kitchen. So I think that if we all started talking about things more, it might create a more supportive environment without having to rely on your restaurant providing HR. Yeah. It's not, you know, it shouldn't be either or, but it should be end this end this. Yeah, I definitely think talking about it more, like normalizing it, that we all have issues. Like today, I went to the dentist and they asked for pre-existing conditions. And one of these was like anxiety slash depression. And I checked yes. And I was like, I don't think I've ever checked that. It's not depression, but it's anxiety. I think I have like borderline panic attacks sometimes, but I'm 43 and I don't think I've ever checked that off on a medical record because I just think it's like not something you do. Like I'm not on medicine or under psychological treatment. So I would not check that I had anxiety, but it's like, yeah, I do. I don't know why it matters when I go to a dentist, but I felt like that was a big step. Just kind of acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. I have anxiety. I mean, but how cool would it be if you were cooking on the line and the guy next to you was like, man, I feel really anxious today. And you were like, Oh, I, I feel anxious a lot too. Like, do you get panic attacks? And then suddenly you two are talking about your mental health. Yeah. It's not that hard, you know? Instead of the guy saying, I feel really anxious today, and you making fun of him, not you. But, right, yeah. You know, instead of that, you just have a conversation, you know? I, th- I think it's easier in a lot of other industries because our industry has kind of a caricature of, like, what a chef is, you know? And it's like we're, you know pirates and we're we curse a lot and drink all the time you do drugs and you're tough and you know i think uh, i think it's hard when maybe you know maybe he's changed and i definitely saw an evolution but when the first book that people read is like kitchen confidential like anthony bourdain kind of like blew the doors off of it for the general public yeah and then the general public's whole impression of like the restaurant industry and it kind of was like that And it kind of is like that. And it kind of is. But then I think that also is like a self-fulfilling prophecy where like young male chefs especially think that that's cool. And it's like, wow, this guy got rich and famous talking about how he was having sex in the walk-ins and Mm -hmm. doing drugs. And that kind of makes it interesting and dangerous and cool. So it just kind of perpetuates the cycle. And we're not writing tell-alls about this, you know, nice work environment in the kitchen that anyone worked for. Yeah. Well, it also is all, it all goes back to patriarchy and, you know, it's, it's an industry that started by men and run by men. Um, and everything about it was created for men. The more women we have working in the industry saying, you know, Hey, we need time off or whatever. Like I'm pregnant. I can't work in the last month of my pregnancy or like, you know, I need, I need 15 minutes to pump. Because my my baby is like at home in daycare. <laughs> yeah. Um, these, or like having the baby and then not having a job anymore. Yeah, not having your baby and not being able to go back to work because your job was given away. My wife got fired on her first day back from maternity leave at a food service operation. Because they had to let her come back and they fired her on the first day? She had a verbal agreement that she was working full time and... She told them, when I come back, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to be able to work part-time. And they said that was fine. You know, there was no contract or anything. And she took the time off, and nobody said anything about it at all the whole time. And the first day back to work, she got a babysitter and said goodbye to the kids and went to the house and then promptly got in the door. And they said, before you punch in and start, let's sit down and talk about this. 
while you were gone, we realized that it's not going to work having you as a part-time. We're going to need a full-time. So let's just both agree that this isn't going to work out. Why don't you leave? So technically, like, she wasn't fired and they had her, like, sign something basically agreeing that, like, it was mutually beneficial. And she came home from work her first day back, like, half an hour after coming back from maternity leave to find that she was fired from her job. Yeah. Like, you couldn't have even done that months, like, while you were on leave to give us some heads up. But that's just the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah. And it's, it's allowed and it's, um, it, it, no one like makes a stink about it because at that point she'd rather just go. She doesn't want to be somewhere where they don't want her. Yeah. And it's just at that point easier to just go find another job. And that's what they're banking on. Right. Yeah. That's what they're banking on. You just like kind of went over and be like, okay, well, I guess it's helpful. But if more of us were like, actually, no, that shouldn't be how it is, then we would have more solidarity and we would be able to make some more culture change. And I'm not saying that like we don't have solidarity, but there is a really pervasive kind of toxic idea of like what it is to be a chef. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of women also perpetuate that a little bit too. And I don't know if that's them trying to fit in because I have had employees who are working the week before they give birth and will say to the male cook who calls out, suck it up. I'm giving birth in a week mm-hmm. and you're calling out to be sick. So like, yeah. how do you, that, I mean, do, that doesn't help yeah. the cause either. I told you, like I used to be the chef that was like yelling at people and like all that, that came directly from me growing up in that toxic kitchen culture and being a female chef and saying, okay, well, you know, the only way for me to make it is to prove that I'm tougher and I have bigger balls than everybody else in here. And so, you know, if I make a sexist joke or I do something crude or yell at a new cook or something like that shows everyone in here that I'm just as tough and, you know, masculine as they are. So is it too broken to fix or are you optimistic (laughs) for the future? I mean, as someone who is not in that restaurant industry anymore, like... (laughs) I don't think it's for me, but I don't want to leave anyone behind. I think it's it's not too broken to fix, but it is going to take a lot of culture change. And I think that the work that I want to do with my writing and my speaking um, and Instagram, you know, creating a resource for people to at least see that it doesn't have to be that way. So what are you hoping, ideally, if someone comes to your Instagram, follows you, what are you hoping to inspire them to do or help them? Like, ideally, what do you think? My number one goal is for people to realize that they deserve to take care of themselves. And it doesn't have to be service industry. You know, if you follow me and you're a nurse or, you know, a corporate job or anything, really, just the idea that you are not, your identity is not your work and you deserve to do whatever you want to do to take care of yourself. And that looks different for everybody. You know, people see like memes on online about like self-care and it's like, take a bath, light a candle, like whatever. That's, it's different for everybody. You know, self-care for someone might be leaving their job. Self-care for someone might just be, you know, making a friend that has the same values as you in your workplace. So I want people to see me as a resource for support. Do you have any kind of message board or Facebook group or place where people can have conversations? I do. Thank you for reminding me. Um, It's called self-care for the service industry. 
And uh, again, it's a young uh, group that I would love to see more people joining and uh, get some more engagement inside the group. Um, it is on Facebook and uh, yeah, anybody can join. There's like one question to join. It's like, do you work in the service industry? And then you can be part of that community. Have you had any negative uh, experiences with people in that group yet? No, I haven't. Um, not yet. Um, I put the question on there just because I, I'm hoping to have people who are actually willing to engage and not just going to join the group and not do anything. So it requires them to type like two words. So I think that maybe that would be like, if you're willing to type those two words, you're willing to participate in the community, I guess. I don't know. The same for me, because I don't want like the Shazza restaurants group to be a lot of people like spamming, like job things or yeah. trying to sell stuff and just kind of, Oh, I, actually, yeah. I've had to bump some people away and say, we have a public page. If you want to follow where I'm sharing events and interesting articles, but yeah. this is not a place for you to come and say like, you know, Andrew's a member of the group and he could say, Hey, I'm looking for someone to come work on the pizza truck, but I don't want you who I've never met to just come in and post a job and say, hey, I'm looking for cooks at my new restaurant. Like yeah. that's not, yeah. it's actually chefs without restaurants. So I like, don't come in, but I've had some people posting job mm-hmm. uh, offers for restaurants or trying to sell their product. Hey, I make peanuts. It's like, that's not really what I want to be. Yeah, I did actually, now that you reminded me, I had one person who came in and posted like rapid fire for a week about uh, some like CBD product that they sell and I kicked them out. <laughs> um, because yeah. it's like, I want that group to be, um, I want it to be a resource for people where people feel comfortable posting, you know, a personal thing. You know, I'm, I'm at work and I don't have anyone to talk to. I'm really stressed out. I've been having panic attacks and I don't know what to do. Like, I want that kind of post in that group. And I want a community of people who can say that happens to me. This is what I do. Or you can reach out to this person or blah, blah, blah. You know, instead of just like, these are products that I sell and this is like my wellness blog and stuff like that. Like I want it to be more of a discussion group. Cool. Well, I think we should probably get into the uh, on the fly section where I ask you, well, actually first, before we do that, I just have one more question. Okay. But uh, what are you currently cooking? And that could be like something at home that you really love or not even about food at all. So just go ahead and take that where you want to. Um, (laughs) Food wise, my client is traveling this week. So I've been cooking a lot at home. Uh, which is unusual because I don't cook at home very often. <laughs> um, and I've been making a lot of just playing around with like ingredients that I have in my pantry because I kind of end up collecting things that I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this out. And then it gets pushed aside because I don't cook at home. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've had a lot of weird combo, like combo food this week. I did um, a grits dish for breakfast that had uh um, like a red Thai curry sauce and eggs. It was really nice. Um, yeah, so I just like to like play around at home. That's what kind of what I'm doing for food right now. And yeah. All right, so let's just jump into on the fly. Basically, I'm just going to ask you 10 or 12, 15 questions. It's not 15 questions. Answer as fast as you can. Nobody ever really does this, but... As, okay, as fast as I can. Yeah, yeah, just try. Right. No. I mean, uh, what's ready. your favorite tool in the kitchen? Mandolin. What's your favorite food to eat? Fried chicken. Hmm. From where? <laughs> um, Royal Farms. I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. Uh, if you had all the monies, what's the first position you would hire? Oh, um, can I say house cleaner? Yeah. 
<laughs> Someone who cleaned my house for me. Yeah, I kind of did that too. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite chef? I really like Chef Ben from La Cuchara. Okay. Um, La Cuchara is one of my favorite restaurants. Gorgeous restaurant, beautiful food, done in a really elegant way, you know, really good ingredients. Every time I go there, I love it. Art or science? I always say cooking is an art and a craft. So both. Uh, what's one thing you do differently from everybody else? I take care of myself and I try to take care of everyone around me. Your favorite digital tool? I said earlier I'm completely right-brained and it's really hard for me to be organized. Um, so I actually use a project manager software called Asana. Um, I'm sure people who work in offices know what that is. It's like Slack sort of, but it's more like to-do list based. And it's how I organize my whole life. Um, if it's not in Asana or my Google Calendar, like it doesn't exist to me. Can you recommend a book? I was thinking about that earlier because I heard you ask that question to the other guest. Um, and one that I, I wrote down because I was like, I'm going to forget what it is. But I read recently by Jen Sincero. It's called You Are a Badass. Yeah, it's all about um, self-love and, you know, uh, self-worth. And it actually has exercises that you can do and you can write in it like as a journal. Um, so even if you read it through once, you can kind of go back and read what you wrote in it and like relearn every time you look at it. Yeah, that's cool. We'll link that in the show notes. Uh, what's your favorite culinary resource? I have to say Instagram because I can I can really use Instagram as a research tool I can use it as uh, inspiration. You know, you can see what other people are up to. Yeah, we've had like whole conversations on the podcast about that being an actual culinary resource. Yeah, it's legit. Instagram is a culinary resource. Yeah. How do you decompress? Decompressing is very important to me. I like to spend time in my house. Uh, my house is like kind of a sanctuary for me. Um, I like to garden, and I have a lot of house plants, so I like to take care of my my garden and my plants and uh, I have a cat that's really cute and I love her I spend time with her and uh, just kind of you know being in my home like relaxing and not not having like a purpose or doing something like yeah. a task um, that's really decompressing for me what's the best meal you've ever had okay I got one um, my husband and I went to Rome uh, Valentine's Day two years ago and when we got off the plane, we went to our hotel and we went to the uh, this like little restaurant that was right outside of our hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just exhausted. We were like, if we eat any food, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Of course, it's you know it's Rome, but it was like a uh, it was a pizza with uh, like tomato sauce, salami, and some kind of mozzarella, and super basic and calamari, like fried calamari. And the the squid was so good that, like, it didn't need anything. It had, like, a piece of lemon, no sauce, like, nothing. It was, like, salt, squid, fried lemon. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like I never want to eat calamari again. Yeah. Definitely one of the best we've ever had. And my last question, what do you want to be remembered for? I think that I answered this sort of earlier. Yeah. Um, I want to be remembered as someone who was in service to other people, you know, um, providing support and resources to people in the food and beverage industry or just in general to kind of help people grow the, their own self-love and self-care. 
Well, hopefully being on this podcast, we can help some people. Yeah, if anybody listening to this ever needs to reach out, my DMs are always open. Uh, Until I can't manage them anymore, I will answer as many as I can. Um, And it's judgment-free. You know, anything you want to talk about, that's what I want to be here for. Go ahead and drop your ad name so people can. Okay. (laughs) It's at Chef Sarah Aconcia. So it's uh, Sarah with an H. And A-C-C-O-N as in Nick, C-I-A. Thank you so much for traveling up here today and being on our podcast. Thank you so much. so much insight and wisdom. And Thank you so much. I'm really happy I got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, and once again, if you've heard this before, you know what I'm about to say, but like, hold on, hold on. subscribe. We, we have put out 18 shows. We have two comments and like seven reviews, guys. Just like... Go drop a five star in there. So that's iTunes. I don't even think you can do anything on Spotify. So I know a lot of people listen to Spotify, iHeartRadio, other platforms. If you are an iTunes user, or maybe you just sign up for an iTunes just so you can review our show, that would be cool. But go like, subscribe, follow, and share the podcast. Is that what you were going to say? That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or whatever, you can always email us at chefs.restaurants at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We love you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.